This is Relationships and Revenue, the show where real answers come from real discussions about what holds men back in their relationships at home and in business. A better bottom line at work means improving life at home. This show is all about helping you become a better entrepreneur and a better man. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. I am your host, John Hewlin. So excited to have all of you with us today. And it is my pleasure to introduce to you Brooks Holland. Brooks, how are you, my friend? I'm doing amazing. That's great, man. I am so excited to have you here today and to share your message with our audience today. Now, listeners, I want to tell you a little bit about Brooks and those of you who have only heard me and not seen me via video, I do operate from notes. So if you hear paper shaking, that's what that is. So Brooks is a coach. Now, I, that's not even really fair to call him a coach. I mean, he is a high performance type coach. I mean, he coaches some of the best and brightest high performers anywhere. And he's definitely going to tell us more about that in a little bit. He's a speaker. He's an author, entrepreneur. Oh, also, he happens to be a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy. And, oh, I think I remember he qualified for the 2000 Olympic trials in swimming. I mean, come on. This guy is amazing. <laughs> the best part is his message is even better than his background. Oh, I forgot two other really important things to mention about Brooks. His two greatest titles, I would say. I think you'll agree. He is husband to Natalie and stepdad to Penelope. 100%. All right. All right. So, you know, I could do a little more on an introductory side for you, Brooks, but what I really want to do is I want our folks to hear from you. So help us out a little bit. Take us back to the beginning and tell as much or as little as you want about your story. How did you get to where you are now? Yeah. And before I dive into that, I want to set just a little bit of context before I share the story. I'm going to share things to really set the tone that I operated at a really high level because that's going to key into a big lesson that it took me 20 plus years to learn. And so I'm sharing these things, not from a place of like, look at me, look how amazing I was. I'm sharing these things for context. So you can see where that second part of the story came in. And so to kick it off, when I was, I started swimming competitively when I was six years old. Mm. It was, uh, it's Florida. It's the middle of the summer. It's 90 plus degrees, 90% humidity. I had a friend that was, you know, quote unquote, come over to the house to play for the afternoon. And, you know, their parents were picking around. They said, Hey, do you want to go to swim practice? I'm going, a pool sounds amazing right now. <laughs> right. And so I go to swim practice. And I showed up, there was no lane lines, there was nothing. We played sharks and minnows. We, you know, <laughs> basically I showed up on game day. I showed up on fun day. <laughs> yeah. like, Swimming is really cool. And then they just asked the next day, like, Hey, do you want to go to swim practice? I'm like, of course I want to go to swim practice. I mean, we're melting out here and it was so much fun. I show up the second day, there's the lane lines, there's the blocks, you know, everything is in place. And it was an actual swim practice. There was zero games, any of that, but whatever it is, I just, I took to it. And two weeks later, I was at my first swim meet. I won the 25 breaststroke and that just kind of set the tone for really, at least as far as swimming the next 15, 16 years of my life. Wow. You know, by the time I was 10, I was ranked, well, actually I was doing two a days before I was seven. So oh I, was, gosh. I started doing two a days before I was seven and then by the time I was 10, I was ranked fourth in the country and I was working with my first Olympic swim coach at age 10. Fast forward, I ended up working with Michael Phelps's coach for about three and a half years. I swam at the Naval Academy. I qualified for NCAA's Olympic trials. I was captain of the high school swim team, you know, so all those, all those type of things. You, you were know, the man when it came to swimming. I, I thought I was, you know, I was the man I was, you know, I really enjoyed it, had a lot of great friends, a lot of great people. And, you know, that, that was, that was my identity. That's who I was. You know, I was Brooks, the swimmer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, growing up in Tallahassee, smaller town is all over the newspaper all the time, things like that traveling. And then after that, I went to the United States Naval Academy, swam there, had great success. And this is when it starts, you know, my story 
after the Naval Academy, I went out to Navy SEAL training. I went out to Coronado, California to go be a Navy SEAL and that whole swimming background because they, everything they do is in the water. So was, was such an awesome experience. Mm. And I ended up getting dropped 13 days till graduation from SEAL training. And to make a long story short, back the Naval Academy, I started skydiving. So I had a bunch of skydives and things like that. And then summer training before my senior year at the Naval Academy was out doing some training with the SEALs called Mini Buds. And after that, I stay out in California on leave, but I had my parachute with me. I had videotapes. I'd done 50 way state record attempt skydives in Delaware. We had three airplanes and long story short, I met some SEALs. They'd seen the videotape. Like I knew they were hooking me up and they took me jumping with them. So I ended up jumping free fall with the SEALs. Um, They were just doing fun jumps. It wasn't like they were doing operational jumps. It was just to kind of keep their quals. So, you know, went down there, made you know, three quote unquote fun jumps with the seals. But here's the thing. I wasn't military qualified. So I was civilian qualified. I wasn't military qualified. So I shouldn't have even been there. You know, so long story short, I got in trouble and stuff there. And that's ultimately what led to me getting dropped 13 days till graduation from butts. Wow. And so it took me 20 plus years to get some of these lessons. But at that point, I mean, I was lost. I mean, because every single thing I'd ever set out to accomplish in life, I had accomplished. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd crushed it. I'd operated at a high level. And then here I was really, you know, 21, 22. And I was alone and I was lost for the first time. Mm-hmm. Swimming was over. I wasn't Brooks the swimmer. I was going to trade that identity in for Brooks the Navy SEAL. That mm-hmm. didn't happen. And then here I was just Brooks, this undesignated ensign who didn't make it through SEAL training, which, you know, 80 plus percent of the people don't make it through, Mm. but I had just all sorts of stories around that. And there was just a lot of, it took me a long time, just a lot of deep seated, you know, really rage and anger, Mm. you know, like I was always a very friendly, but then, you know, things would happen and there's certain areas would show up. People like, when's Brooks going to give birth to the rage baby? Like it was like a running joke you know, when these things would get pinged on, but I didn't have enough awareness yet. And so again, in life, like we repeat the patterns till we get the lessons. So I kept, you know, I just kept existing for years. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like I would get to the end of stuff, but I couldn't finish it. You know, I'd get to the end of something and like tail off and like, I need to go do something new. And it it wasn't until really I was getting into my mid thirties. I was like, this is me. I'm repeating this pattern. It got to the point I was in my early to mid thirties. I was $32,000 in credit card debt. I had less than $5,000 to my name and every account in the world. I'd had to move out of my condo. I was sleeping on an air mattress at a buddy's house that was getting foreclosed on. Mm-hmm. You know, everything I owned in the world was in a 10 by 10 storage unit. And I'm in Southern California, which is not a cheap place to live. And I had, I was in such a place of scarcity. I was like, how can I just make $3,000 a month? So here I was a Naval Academy graduate, just, just trying to make $36,000 a year. Right. Like that's where my, that's where my mindset, my belief sets, all those things were. And it was at that time I like, and this is probably the hardest thing because I got to blame my dad. I got to blame the military. I got to blame all these other things, but it wasn't until I had to look in the mirror and take responsibility myself and mm-hmm. stop being a victim. And again, that was even a process, but there was that initial awareness. Like I need to work on me, you know, that I'm the problem here. So that's when I started, you know, investing and doing work on myself. So even though I was $32,000 in credit card debt, I was like, Hey, what's another few thousand dollars more credit card debt. You know, so that's when I invested in some coaching and some programs and started the process of working on myself. Okay. And then about a year later, that's when I met Natalie and then, you know, we've been together now for 10 years. So. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, talking about your story and what's involved with that, that there were several things that came up. Uh, you started talking about mindset and a particular mindset that you had, a scarcity mindset. So if you would 
give us your definition of a scarcity mindset and the dangers that come with that. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of times I even use the word mindset. I really think it's deeper. It's, it's these belief sets. Okay, belief sets. So tell us what, what you mean by that. Scarcity mindset, but these deep-seated beliefs. Okay. And for pretty much everybody, it's going to root back to some combination, some form of not enough. You know, not enough, not worthy, um, not lovable. And then there's comparison. <sighs> yep. And everything roots down to those things. Even, and I do this with people, just you, you take the Bible, you go back to Adam and Eve, you go back to the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Everything was perfect. But then there was this one thing, like, you know, there was this serpent, you know, eat this apple. But the whole temptation was, you know, you'll have this knowledge. There's something you don't have. You don't know enough. Like every, the fall goes back to not enough. Yeah. You're and right. that permeates everything. Look at all of our marketing. You know, your hair is not straight enough, not curly enough, not shiny enough. You know, everything is marketed towards this thing of not enough. Yeah. And right. it took me a long time to really see that because again, even though I operated at a really high level and kept trying to do more and achieve and achieve and achieve at the root, there was this belief set that I'm not enough. And it was like the next thing, you know, we keep thinking that that next thing, that next step, that next external achievement is going to quote unquote, fix it. But the thing is, there's nothing external that can fill an internal hole. Oh, for sure. Totally. And so and it really just changes the place that you're doing things from, mm -hmm. you know, like I just, I'll use Lamborghinis for example, like there's somebody that, you know, they get a Lamborghini cause they want to be seen. They want the attention. They got to make it special. And then there's somebody that just, they just love Lamborghinis. It doesn't change. It has nothing to do with the Lamborghini. It's just the place that it's being used from. You can tell when someone's authentic or you can tell when someone's trying so hard to look like they're enough to be enough versus just, owning who they are. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it the way you said that, it reminds me of <clears throat> a piece of advice I got when I first got into business. Um, the listeners know that uh, the very first business I ever started was a cleaning business. And the piece of advice I got was this. Um, I, I knew someone who had had a, a business that was more of a, um, a rural service kind of business. And he had made enough money to drive a Cadillac. It was, it was a Cadillac SUV, but it was a Cadillac. He went to a client location. He lost the client that day. The client told him why. He's like, I'm paying you too much. You're driving a Cadillac. I don't. And so what he ended up doing, he traded it that day for a Suburban. The exact same vehicle as the Cadillac all the whistles and bells, but because it said Chevy and not Cadillac, he got the client back. Yeah. That kind of thing. So, and yeah. then the other side I'd say with that too is again, so that's somebody else's scarcity. Oh, it is totally. Yeah. You know, there's, there's two sides that were like, yes, it, depending on your business, it might make more sense to just have like a run of the mill work truck than something nice. But then there's other areas where, you know, in having that. So just really, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways and a lot of lessons that, you know, that we could take that there, but yeah, it's, it's totally true. Oh yeah. So, you know, what, one of the things when as I was doing my research for the interview, um, I started uh, listening to some other interviews that you've done and you and I have spoken previous to this, uh, one of the things that that you talk about, and you start and you started talking about it a little bit when you were talking about your background, is this whole idea of self sabotaging. Oh yeah, can you can you talk to us a little bit more about self sabotaging? How that we can even in many times unknowingly do it. How do we recognize it and get out of it? Yeah, so that's my core tenet: is that life is an awareness game. Because every time we advance our awareness, we, we change the lens, everything changes. Every, every time your awareness increases, everything you see is different. And that's the thing. I didn't have an awareness that I was self-sabotaging because I was still blaming everything external. Mm -hmm. And so this self-sabotage, it's a sneaky way. The ego's, the ego's job is to keep us safe. 
And the thing is, is it, it's there to keep us safe from everything that we say that we logically want. Okay. <laughs> and so if you look at it, so for me, and this is the example, let's go back to that not enough. Mm-hmm. If your ego is there to keep you from being seen as not enough, it's not going to let you, even though you say, I want this success, I want a big following, I want to put myself out there, it's going to keep you safe by keeping you in hiding. Because the moment you achieve a level of success, uh-oh, that means I am enough and we want to be right so bad, you know, so the ego wants to keep us safe from those things. Okay. And so the self-sabotage comes in where I'll just use myself as an example. You, you look at my wife, she's got close to 3 million social media followers. Mm-hmm. And we started at the same time and it wasn't like, she's like, no, you stay, like, I chose that. I didn't want to be seen. I told I was comfortable staying in the back end. So I stayed in hiding. I mean, the, the quote unquote name of our company is 212 Marketing Video Production. So I've shot thousands of videos of my wife. I know how to green screen, light video, edit video. I've done it for doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, but not once did I get on the other side of the camera. Oh, okay. Because what my, and this is the thing, this was such a process for me to actually get on video because people understand this, but I've coached, you know, once I got myself through it, I've coached other special forces. I've coached Navy SEALs, combat pilots, things like that. They would rather be in a combat situation than stick their arm out and press down their thumb and talk to their phone for a couple minutes. And yeah. people understand that, but the thing is they, they were trained for this one thing, but when your ego is there, this is that comfort zone of what's really happening is, is the ego is going, oh, you're going to take this phone. You're going to, you're going to put a video out there on the internet for the world to see how not good enough and how not worthy you are. I'm going to keep you safe from that. Oh, yeah. and so for me, I would, you know, I kept thinking that once I knew enough, once I'd researched enough, that that level of discomfort was going to go down or go away. Yeah. And so I'd be like, oh, you know, I need to do video. Oh, it's uncomfortable. I'm going to go listen to some podcasts. I'm going to go do this video course. And then it's like, okay, I bought this video course. And then that, you know, the discomfort goes down because I'm working on my video course to get ready. So in eight weeks, then I'm going to do video. And then it's like, you do the video course, you get to the end, you go take action. There's that huge, that fear, that discomfort shows up again. You start looking, well, okay, maybe I need another course. Maybe I need to know more before I can take this action. And it was the thing, it got to the point, and this sounds gross, but like I knew I had to do video and I was literally vomiting, diarrhea, like fetal position, crying. Wow. And I'm calling my accountant, I'm calling my coach, I'm like, what is this? He's like, he, he was kind of laughing. He's like, brother, this is leaving your comfort zone. Yeah. You know, the comfort zone isn't getting up 10 minutes early. I mean, those are little elements of it, but the, this real comfort zone, there's going to be with your central nervous system and everything, there's going to be an intense, you're going to feel like there's a bear trying to kill you there. <laughs> Even though logically it's not, I'm sticking out my arm and I'm talking to my phone about something for two minutes that we know the world isn't going to see but it's going to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And so it was, again, I had enough awareness at that point to just, I got off the phone and then I did my first video, you know, 15, 20 minutes later. And sure enough, like right after that video, I don't get sick. Like I don't vomit. I don't, I don't get sick. And it was just weird. My ego was going to use, it was going to make me sick if that would buy itself another day of keeping me safe. Oh, Cause if we go, Oh, I'm sick. You know, I'm just, I'm not going to do the video, you know, that would subside. But again, you start reaching that thing internally where the discomfort of where you're at in life finally outweighs the discomfort of taking that uncomfortable action. Yes. And so for me, it was, mm-hmm. I had this realization, there was no more money left for me to spend. Mm. There was no more money to spend on coaches. There was no programs. There was nothing I needed to do other than take this uncomfortable action. Mm. Okay. And it was in doing that, then you start interrupting, you know, those decades long and honestly, generational type patterns. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. Wow. 
You know, <clears throat> you were talking about the video and, you know, getting in front of it. Now, I don't know on a timeline where this fits in, but uh, your website, in fact, this is a good spot to say this. Your website is, for our listeners? Service to purpose.com. So service, the number two, and then purpose.com. Okay. I was on there uh, this past week. And I mean, right from the very front of it, you have a video on there. It's about 11 minutes or so long. And I'll tell you what, man, when I watched that, I, I bawled. I mean, several times. And you got choked up too. Yeah doing it, which I mean, given what you were talking about, I get that. So listeners, you have to go out to his site and you have to watch this video because it is about as real and raw as you can be with stuff without being inappropriately. So. Yeah. And I was thinking, I mean, I went a good 24 years without shedding a tear. Wow. Just I'd stuff it, bury it. I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay. Yeah. Just didn't matter what it was. I showed zero emotion, Mm. but the body keeps the score. All that stuff, (laughs) you know, nobody stuffs laughter. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Nobody goes to the comedy club and be like, I'm not laughing. And then it just like (laughs) bubbles up like a couple of years later, like this joke you heard a decade ago, because it's socially acceptable to laugh. Right, right. You know, you're out at a restaurant, just table people laughing. Nobody bats an eye. You're out. If someone's, if there's tears or there's crying, whoa, you know, what's going on there? Well, especially if it's a man. Yeah. I mean, that's, if it's, it's really anybody. True. But I always go to, you know, what does a baby do when it's born? Well, I mean, they, they cry when they first, or at least they should be crying when they first come out. Well, yeah. You go, I mean, you go to the, they're, they're crying when they're yeah. hungry. What do they do? Yeah. Crying. Certainly. When they wet their diaper, what do they do? Yeah, they're crying, right? Tired, what do they do? It, 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 it crying. It gets people's I, attention. It's yeah. It was it was essentially the most basic elementary form of communication. Okay. No, I'm not saying that you're in an office somehow and you just start bawling or crying. And you have to have time where you can actually allow yourself to feel and process these emotions because right. emotions are just energy and motion. There's all that stuff, and that's the thing. We, we know that feeling when we feel anger and those things, but when we just stuff that in our bodies, it is not healthy. No, not at all. Um, in fact, you know, primarily this particular podcast is aimed at men, although there are plenty of ladies who listen and, and not just my mom. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, <clears throat> I talk to the guys all the time about this when it comes to this idea of feelings and emotions and stuff, because for far too long, we as men, I will say at least in the United States, I'm not going to expand out further because I don't have enough experience to know that. But in the United States, for the most part, we are taught as boys, as young boys, you don't cry. You don't get emotional. You don't have feelings outside of I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm mad. Well, of course it's ridiculous. We absolutely do. In fact, you know, I take it a step further and I actually, that I truly believe this. I believe that men are extremely passionate and we have, we deeply feel things, but we can only do it one emotion at a time. Whereas potentially or possibly women can flow in and out of emotions much quicker than we can. And so when I'm working with guys, I tell them all the time, this whole idea of, well, I can't, especially when talks uh, about, talking to their wives about what's going on with them on the inside. I encourage them all the time. It's like, look, you got to figure out how to do this. You got to figure out how to be able to talk about it. And I have a process that I teach them and have them go through. But, but the, the best thing that I do for them from the beginning is like, look, don't think of these as feelings and emotions. This is a skill set that you can learn because when they think about it in those terms, it's like, Oh, I can do that. Yeah. I can learn how to do that. Yeah, because I really, t- you know, help guide, like, you know, emotions last seconds to minutes. Yeah, that's good. I like and the that. thing is, emotions are like crayons. Once you remove the judgment, you know, it's just, it's just another crayon. It's another color. Okay. You know, in this moment, there's, there's an emotion, but that's the thing. There's these emotions. So in an effort to avoid those seconds to minutes, 
we'll spend years and decades avoiding seconds to minutes because there's an intense fear of pain or what would happen if we actually feel this emotion. So we'll spend all this time, money, and effort to not feel. Right. And again, look at every major multi-billion dollar industry. It's all around some form of, you know, numbing, escaping, or keeping us busy from feeling. Alcohol, weed, CBD, Xanax, Netflix, again, all these things, you know, there's, there's ways to use it in moderation, but it's really easy, you know, whether it's drinking a six pack or a 12 pack to numb out for 10 hours or go to binge watch a show for 10 hours, you know, you're putting your attention someplace else that's distracting mm. from, from being present or another way to, you know, I can go feel this story and not have to feel what's going on inside. That's that's an excellent point. That's and nowadays true. with our phones, we have this 24-7 curated constant entertainment so that we can keep our brains busy to not have to, to go inside and to feel. Right. So it's funny you brought that up about the phone. So do you have a time on a daily basis where you just, is that on your, your ride is that when you purge and you just, I'm not doing anything electronic. I'm just away from everything. Is that your time to do that? I mean, that's part of it. I mean, I'll have my phone with me because I need the app for my one wheel, but really it's just really having an awareness around that screen time and what I'm using the phone for, you know, like my, I have all my notifications off except for phone text and then my one-on-one, -on -one, my tier one, one-on-one -on -one clients on Voxer mm -hmm. and I guess my alarm. So there's only four things on my phone that make noise. Wow. Okay. <laughs> all my social media notifications are off and they're all four to five touches away. Meaning I don't even see the notifications. They're, they're literally swiped over three and they're buried. And I have timers set for depending on what's going on, 30 minutes to either an hour a day. Okay. So like when I was, you know, when I'm promoting, I need to be on there more, but it really just those 30 minute timers. I mean, we've all done it where you're just sitting there, like you got a couple minutes to kill and you don't realize how fast time just evaporates on those apps. Yes, I do. You know, you start watching a couple of videos. I mean, you can, you blow through 30 minutes in the snap of your fingers. So it's just having awareness and being really diligent and intentional there. Where am I putting my attention? And I monitor my screen time. Okay. And things like that. Gotcha. I want to, uh, I want to head a little bit different direction here for just yeah. a minute. Um, but as you know, the, the title of this podcast is relationships and revenue. I want to spend a little time talking about relationships you have a very unique situation in your household where you and your wife are both entrepreneurs. So my question to you is right now, what is it that you're doing or what things are you doing to help cultivate and make the best that it can be your relationship with Natalie? Man, we could talk for hours on this topic because one of the biggest things <laughs> I bring it, man, bring it. That's why we're here. Behind every business problem is an internal or personal one. Thank you. Thank you. Someone who's speaking my language. Yes. And so, I mean, we've been together. You take, you know, we started Natalie Jill Fitness together and I was, you know, a hundred percent all in full time in that business for probably seven, eight years. And there was just, you know, we had stuff with the business. I had my own internal stuff coming up and it was, there was just, you know, that pain, that discomfort we're at, like, and I started, when I started tracing back every trigger, you know, whether, cause the trigger, it's not what's triggering us. Anytime we're triggered, it's a hundred percent something with inside yourself. Yes. Yes. So what a lot of people will do is like, oh, that triggers me. So their solution is just avoid being triggered. Right. But that doesn't solve the problem. That's just that's just numbing it. We're not getting to the root. The real freedom is when you get to the root where that thing is no longer a trigger. Right, right, exactly. And that was the thing. I was getting so triggered, quote unquote, by my wife. And realized I went to what it was. It was that whole piece like I was still in hiding. 
Mm-hmm. You know, cause here we were, you know, I had, I don't think I had 2000 just for context, 2000 quote unquote fans or followers. And my wife has 3 million when you add up, you know, the Facebook, the YouTube, like Instagram, all the things. Sure. And it was just so seeing other people sharing stuff. I was like, I have something to share, but like I was getting triggered. The reason I was getting triggered is because they were taking action. They were out there sharing and I wasn't. Mm, mm-hmm. And so for all that, I just, you know, would be angry or frustrated. But once I traced that back and then once I started taking action, once I started stepping into and owning my own gifts, that's yeah. when things really started to change. Okay. So when you realized you needed to own your own gifts, was there a process that you had to go through in order to discover what those gifts actually are? Yeah. And that's kind of, and that's, and in that process, that's where I discovered my gift for helping other people find their gifts. Cause again, I spent 20 plus years deflecting, not seeing my own gifts, self-sabotaging all of these things. I mean, I have a lot of amazing contacts and people in my phone book. And I, I, I relate it to, they're looking at me like, here's this pit bull trying to go meow. Oh, okay. Because they're like, they could see, they could see this ability. They could see this greatness. But again, I had these belief sets that were still such rooted in the unworthiness, not enough. I couldn't see it myself. Okay. And so that's where I kept self-sabotaging here. Here you are, this just the analogy, like this big burly pit bull trying to go meow, <laughs> you know, that's, that's not, that's not who you are. Mm, and okay. so again, that was that path. And again, I mean, I've invested over $400,000 in coaching masterminds, you know, all those things. Sure. And so it was just lots of ways on that process. And that's the thing that like, that's what a good coach does is really, it helps you compress time. Mm. Okay. Cause that's the most valuable resource that we have. Sure. You know, we're all like, we can all figure that stuff out. You know, just like, I love watching shark tank. Like what happens those guys, they had experience, they can compress time. Yeah. They made the mistakes before they can make phone calls. They can take something that, yeah, you'll definitely learn it on your own, but you can get that three, five or 10 years back by working with a coach or a mentor. Hmm. Exactly. And so that is where the value is. You're compressing time. You're, you're, and that's why there's, you know, that's also why there's the investments there, you know, because mm-hmm. what getting back five, 10 years of your life worth. And yeah, it's an excellent point. So, hey, like it's priceless. I mean, especially this last year, like with COVID, with Kobe Bryant, like you never know. Right. Yeah. There's only one thing is certain and that's that we're all going to die at some point. Yeah. Like life has a 0% survivability rate. <laughs> like we Very know that true. logically and it's funny and nobody knows when they're going to go. Yes. Like you never know. And so time is the most valuable resource that we have. And that's why you look at wealthy people. What do they do? They spend money to compress time. Right. Mm-hmm. And then what do quote unquote poor people do? they trade time to get money. Yeah. So like a wealthy person, they will spend money to fly private, to park up front, to get there when like they're, they use money to buy their time back. They hire people to do things so that they get their time back. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's just awareness and those key distinctions, you know, where can I invest money to get time back? And then when you're spending that time wisely and you're using that, you know, in your gifts and growing and creating, you know, that's an exciting place to do life. Yeah. Well, yeah. So um, you have a, is your coaching program, I think I read it's called uh, Into the Light. Is that right? Yes. Tell us a little bit more about that. So this is the funny thing. We coach the things that, that we had to overcome. So the yeah, people do time management, it's not because time management was easy for them. It's because it was the thing that crippled them. <laughs> Good point. And so that was my thing as somebody that was in hiding for so long, it's something that I know so intimately because I know all the ways that people will self-sabotage. I know all the ways that they will try to deflect and avoid stepping into their gifts. Mm-hmm. 
And so really that into the light program, it's just that getting people out of the shadows, you know, out of the darkness to where they can, you know, step into the light and be seen. Mm, Okay. And it's just, it's that, it's that first step of the process and it's, it's just, it's huge. Oh, it sounds like it. There's so much that we have to step through and overcome. Sure. sure. And there's nothing like that. I love doing more than guiding people through this process. And and I'm upfront, like it's, it's going to be uncomfortable, but the people that attracts, they realize that and they just, they know that they're ready. And that's Mm -hmm. right. Like, I know that again, and a lot of times it happens when we're in our forties and fifties, you know, like I look back when I was 20, I mean, 40 seemed like an eternity away. Yeah, dude. And then you get to 40 and you're like, not only am I nowhere near where I thought I would be when I was 20, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Which at 20, you would never admit. Right. Like, I think at 20, you're like, oh, 40? Like, I'll have my millions. I'll be retired. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's so far away. That's twice my life. And then it's wait a second, you know, these years just start ticking by and they, and the older we get, the faster they go by. Oh my gosh. That is, <laughs> oh, that is so true. Oh my goodness. So, you know, true. usually at that point, so we have this awareness. That's what it's me. It's like, all right, I'm going to have to get uncomfortable. I've tried all the comfortable ways and it, it doesn't work. And so it's, you know, guiding people to, to step through that so that then they're sharing their gifts and then you just have the ripple effect from that. Oh yeah. Because once people start, and again, you get to that root, once they start believing in their own worthiness, believing, once they start operating from enough worthiness, love those places versus the fear, the scarcity, the lack, the not enough, I need to know more, all those things. Mm -hmm. And And really, I think the biggest, one of the biggest things that differentiates me is a lot of people spend a lot of time on the traumas where minds, I say it's re it's heavy on the gift light on the trauma. Okay. Because once you, once you have awareness to, and you see the gift, the trauma just helps us see the gift. And then, so once we see the gift, it allows us to look at the traumas differently. Cause I think some people want to go spend time and it's like, no, we don't have to do that. So I'm really, it's heavy on the gift, light on the trauma, and then we're moving forward. Yeah. And what I like to tell people is, you know, if that's something that they need to do, if they need to spend time in the trauma, it's like, that isn't coaching. That's called therapy. And I've got some people I can recommend to you for that. And a lot of it, it's just, it's not about reliving it, just amount of getting to the root you know, just like when you go pull weeds and you get that one, you pull it off and it breaks off right at the ground. It looks great right now, but what happens uh-huh. later, you know, it's right. so we just, again, I gloss her. It's just like, we got to get to the root, but we're going to look at it through a different lens. Mm. And then, you know, then it all makes sense. And then whew, now away we go. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I want to, I want to circle back to something that we were starting to talk about before. Um, one of the things that I try and encourage men to do often is to, uh, is to take, this isn't going to sound right coming out, but I'm trying to find another way to say it, to take charge of their most significant relationships. And what I mean by take charge is most men, after they get married, they really struggle. And I, you've probably heard me talk about this before. I had something called the F6 formula. There's six areas of a man's life that he tends to struggle in after he gets married. And they are faith fashion, fitness, food, friendship, and fun. I love it. The fun part is not what most guys think. They think it's having fun with their buddies. It's fun with your significant other. It's huge because I don't know how it is in your marriage. I can tell you when I was married, if we had date night, emphasis on if, she was always the one who planned it. She figured out what to do with the kids, where we were going. She picked out my clothes, man. She did all that stuff. Yep. And what I tell guys now is those days, those are gone. It's time for you to own it. 
You need to take charge of that. You need to be the one to figure out what you're doing, where you're going, how you're going to get there. Make sure the children are properly taken care of. <laughs> Emphasis on properly, of course. And all she has to do is show up and look beautiful. That's it. That's her only job. Right. And then in those times of fun, whatever they happen to be, we don't talk about stuff that's going on with the business. We don't talk about stuff that's going on with the kids. We're talking about what are your hopes and dreams? What are mine? What are our goals together as a couple? We talk about that kind of stuff where you're having those heart connections with one right. another on a regular basis. Yeah. And that's where it takes for, for really it's everybody, but especially the men to do that work on themselves. Because really what's happening there is when the woman's doing that, she's rotated up into her masculine. So she's the, there has to be polarity. So you need the masculine and the feminine mm -hmm. and it's kind of backwards here as I'm looking at the camera. So the <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> so feminine goes up into her masculine mask. Mm -hmm. There's gotta be that polarity. So usually it's the masculines rotating down into the feminine. And that's mm -hmm. where like the not planning. And the thing is, is when we rotate down, it's because there's, there's still, there's that, I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. And it's hard. And we, you can't be in your healthy masculine from a place of not worthy, not enough. And the thing is the female to feel safe in her feminine, she needs the healthy masculine. Yes, she does. Absolutely. Because the healthy masculine knows who he is in those things. But if we're too busy, like, I don't know what to wear. If we're too busy trying to please, we've rotated down because there has to be polarity. At the same time, that's why you get a lot of these codependent relationships where there's the feminine who's, you know, inner masculine, successful at business, a lot of these things. And it takes the healthy masculine to provide the safety so that they can rotate down. Okay. Cause this is, this is something that happened a lot with my wife and I, cause you know, she was that go, go, go business person mm -hmm. and <clears throat> You know, it's like, I wanted to quote unquote, blame her, but I had to be able to show up as the healthy masculine to allow her to feel safe so that she could even rotate down in her feminine. Okay. A lot of times a guy can see this and be frustrated, but the masculine that's in the feminine can't provide the safety and security for a woman to feel safe in her feminine. Gotcha. It's too feminine. So he has to do the work on himself to be able to show up in his healthy masculine so that he can be the leader of that family unit. So he can provide that safety for her to be in her gift, which is really her divine feminine, not in her masculine list. Like, there's times that we all do it. Like men and women all have masculine and feminine inside of them. Right. And there's times for each. It's just, we, we have to have the awareness when we're living in a place that's not, where we're not really designed to live. Oh, absolutely. You know, I don't know if you encounter this with men that you work with. I, I encounter it with men I work with. And that is many times when I start to tell them about things, when we start talking about, you know, the feelings and emotions and that sort of thing, <clears throat> somehow they think if I start working on those things, that's going to make me less of a man. <clears throat> what I tell them all the time is it's going to make you a more complete man. Yeah. You're actually going to be more fulfilled. You're going to be, you're going to become more manly, if you will. They can't see it yet, but as they work on it, they start to discover it, it takes whatever level of manliness I thought I was at and it just starts to explode. It just takes off. Yeah. Because those things are hard. So it takes great strength to demonstrate vulnerability. Oh yeah, it does. And, and, but that's... <clears throat> You know, because isn't that, isn't that what those people want from us, though? The people that are closest to us, don't they want that vulnerability from us in order to have those heart connections? Some do and some don't. It depends on where we're at in the relationship. Okay. Because we're always going to attract somebody that's going to help us grow. They're always going to be our teacher. All right. And so if we don't have a level of awareness yet, if the person doesn't have an awareness, yeah, they might not know enough to appreciate that yet. Mm. But again, it's also part when you're committed, you get to, you get to keep growing as a couple. There you go. Okay. It's just society. It's easier just to, I don't know. I've never been on the apps swipe left or right. Or like, there's just always an endless stream of, you know, this isn't working. I can just go fishing 24 hours a day, you know, and there's something else.
Oh, my friend, be glad you don't do that. No, I know. I mean, and I just, just don't I've be glad. Seen it, I've seen it with friends, you know, they were married, you know, it's like they got divorced and they're in their, you know, they're in their forties and fifties. And I mean, it's literally, it's been 20, 30 years since they've even dated. And it's like, Holy cow, here's this app. <laughs> right. Basically like Uber for relationships. Yeah, it it's is kind of crazy to me. It's like, Oh, I can swipe. And it just, and, it, and I think some of them, they did it because it was, again, they're hurting from their divorce. And it's like in the short, like, wow, this is cool. But then usually there's this period of time, like, wait, this isn't really what I want. Right. You know, this isn't the, yeah, this is cool at first. And it kind of, it feels good. It feeds the ego. And they're like, this isn't, this isn't what I want. But that's just all part of that healing process though. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's definitely part of the healing process. So, um, you know, we're getting close to wrap up time here, but, um, one, a couple more things. First one is we talked about your website earlier on your other social media platforms. Where can people find you? If they want to connect with you, they might say, Hey, Brooke sounds amazing. I've got to talk to him. I think I might want to work with him. Yeah. Facebook and Instagram. My name is Brooks Holland, H O L L A N. And then my handle on Instagram is life. It's life of Brooksy with little underscores in there. And you'll probably see a lot of pictures of uh, the red Porsche right there. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And which I love watching you do that stuff with your Porsche. It's, it's pretty fun. Yeah. I mean, I love, again, that's a, just for context, that's a 1987 Porsche. It has no air conditioning, no stereo, no power steering, no anti-lock brakes. It has power windows, power door locks. It's just, I love that car because you just, you feel everything. Mm -hmm. I just be so present. Like, I mean, I've taken that for, you know, thousand mile drives. It's just no music. I just, I really get to be alone with my thoughts, the mechanics, just get to be uber present. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just, I absolutely love it. I'll have that car for literally for forever. Wow. That's great. Um, so just give folks a little bit of a, uh, of a history of the car. How, how did you end up with it? Um, what's the story behind it? I just, I've been really blessed. I've been going to the racetrack for 18 plus years now. And a couple of years ago I met, you know, through a friend, met a guy who does extremely well and through him, I've gotten to drive literally some of the most iconic cars in the world. I mean, I got to drive the Porsche 918 supercar before it came out. Uh, and cause he bought three of them. I mean, I think at this point when I met him, he had about five cars and I think now he's got over 90 cars. So oh my goodness. he's done amazingly well, super generous person, um, has zero social media, any of that stuff just loves to share. So I actually got my race license with him you know, oh, so we, we racing school together. And so I've just been blessed to get to, you know, I've gotten to drive pretty much all the exotic cars from all the different manufacturers on the street, on the track, things like that. And I just really cultivated this love for Porsche, you know, their history, the company, their ethos, just everything that goes into that car. You know, I talk about on online, like consistency is key. Mm-hmm. It's like they've been making the Porsche 911 since 1963. Just they just keep refining it and making it better. Gotcha. Instead of like, oh, let's do a new model. They just they stay with what works. They just keep refining something. So I just I really love um, Porsche, mm-hmm. and it just, yeah, I've driven them all as far as on the street on the track. It's just the thing that really captured my soul. And so th- I, the first new car of my life is on my vision board was Porsche by 40. And so I bought, I, I got a build slot. I ordered the car, waited six months, tracked it across the barge, like did it. Oh, wow. That was my, that was my first new car ever. So that was a 2015 911 GTS. And then I don't know about a year or so after that, I really wanted to get one of the classic cars, you know, the air cooled with, with just nothing that super raw analog driving experience. Mm-hmm. And is just it's my favorite like that picture is actually from pebble beach i took that i took that picture and had it you know blown up and i just i i took the black and white and i just put the red in it because the car is red and so yeah i just love the the contrast 
But yeah, so the thing is, you know, a lot of people talk about cars and investments, but when cars is your passion, I mean, I, you can't see, but I've got a whole library. I've got books, photo shoots. I mean, I travel around the country. So there's a, there's a whole community hmm. that I'm a part of that's, you know, in the, in the classic Porsche and even just the Porsche community as a whole. So it's just something that I get a thorough amount of enjoyment. I do it purely for myself. It's not like it's for show or for anybody else. And that's why it's people, cause people ask me about cars. I'm like, if you're not a car person, then don't spend your money on cars. <laughs> right. Right. Like, totally. Totally. Right. It has to, that's what I get to is like, if you're not a car person, like don't spend money on cars to show other people. Like if you don't care about it, like do whatever's authentic to you, mm-hmm. you know, like some people like their thing is, you know, boating, like put your money into a boat. Like I can appreciate a boat, but it's not my thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I enjoy somebody you know, going out on the boat with somebody, but I don't know anything about it. It's not where I would invest my money. And so I wouldn't go buy a boat because somebody else thought it was cool. <laughs> Right. Exactly. You got, you got to be true to you. It's got to be true to you. Absolutely. And that's where, and then ultimately like that's where the freedom is. Mm -hmm. So would it be safe to say this is more, more of a wrap up and I I have a final four we're going to do. There are four quick questions. You just tell me the first thing that pops in your head when I ask them, But, but this one, would it be fair to say that you have taken pain, even if it was self-inflicted pain in your life, you've worked through it to get to your purpose. Yeah. Your pain becomes your purpose and you just have to have the awareness. And that's one of the things, you know, when you have a different lens to look at everything, then you, then everything that's been a struggle, when you see the gift and the blessing inside of that, it changes everything. Oh. Definitely. Love that. Love that. All right. So let's get to our final four. Are you ready? I'm ready. I love these questions, man. They're so much fun. They're so revealing. Oh, all right. Here we go. Why did God create Brooks? Man, these are supposed to be really quick questions. (laughs) (laughs) You take as long as you want, man. It's your time. And this is something just as, as my awareness has grown. I mean, I think God created all of us to have, a struggle, but ultimately to bring us, to bring us into our gifts and to really see the value in our creator and to help other people, you know, see that same thing. Okay. Because, you know, there's, it started with that personal development journey, but the further I got along that personal development journey, it really, it takes you into a spiritual, a spiritual development journey. Oh, it does. And so that's, that's definitely a piece that I've been on now, just because here's this book, the Bible, and I'd never read it. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I mean, I'm only about, I don't know, 17, 18% of the way through. I'm doing this, like read it in a year, but just, oh, yeah. just going through there, just going back to like this book, this scripture, like, what does it say? I mean, there's so much wisdom and genius just in this book that I'd never read. And we hear all sorts of judgments and things about it. And so again, just from a place of not so much a religious or this or that, but just, just this book, just reading and studying and looking at the lessons there. Uh, it's just, it's just been huge. Love that, man. Love that. All right. Question two, what are you doing, reading or listening to that's helping you grow right now? It's funny you bring that up because uh, for myself as a, as a big time consumption junkie, like my awareness was around, I had to do it cold turkey, like really stopping consuming. Okay. Cause I was always, there was another podcast. There was always something else. And you just, I mean, especially nowadays, there's, there's not enough time to consume all the content that's generated on a daily basis. True. Um, very true. And there's just so much. So sometimes there will be something tactical if I need some piece, but even that's few and far between. But really where I've been spending my time more is, is taking that time that I used to listen to podcasts and I'm just, I'm reading, I'm reading scripture and, you know, there's some 25, 30 minute scripts, things that help to teach into scripture. That's where I'm spending my time right now. Okay, perfect. Love that. All right. Question three. What do you do for fun? Just you. And then what do you do for fun? You and Natalie. 
So fun for just me, a lot of things, uh, taking flops for a walk, getting outside in nature, getting my one wheel in, going for a drive. And then a big one for me, the last two years has been music. I I did a Facebook post December 15th about this, but long story short, because I was always in the pool and swimming and all that stuff. I never had time to learn music. And I just always had this story and I was, I was terrible. I couldn't carry a tune <laughs> just for context. The church choir told me to lip sync when I was in, oh, wow. I was in sixth grade, you had to take chorus band or home ec and shop and that stuff. And I was in band. And after six weeks, they were like, basically they're like, you're terrible. You need to go <laughs> shop in home ec. So I did. And at the time I didn't care because I had swimming. I was like, ah, it's fine. I don't really, but I've always, I've always enjoyed I love music, have super high quality stereo speakers, headphones, all of the things. So I really love listening to music. And I've always wanted to be able to like play, play the guitar and sing and that stuff. But then I saw that movie, A Star is Born, and I totally mm-hmm. out on it. So I went down the rabbit hole to see how Bradley, did Bradley Cooper do his own singing? And so I just, he just busted his butt for three to four years to get ready for that role, all the things. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up getting a vocal coach, a guitar coach. So now I'm playing, I'm learning piano, guitar, singing, and just that whole piece has just been, it's been a lot of fun for me. And so it's just something that even though I didn't start, I mean, I just turned 45 about a week ago and I started that about two years ago, but it's just something that I look at, you know, where am I going to be when I'm 50, 55, 60? Cause you got to start some point getting your 10,000 hours in. Yes. Every day I spend time on the piano, the guitar, you know, again, I knew nothing. I knew no music theory. The only thing I knew was that I knew nothing. And so in a way it was good. I had, you know, I have a clean slate and I have a, a great vocal coach. So that's, that's something huge. And then for Natalie and I, a lot of times we will, we'll walk together I and mean, there's simple things, you know, I have my one wheel, she has an electric bike. Um, so we'll go out, we'll go out together definitely walking the dog. We like to go to the beach and walk the beach. And a lot of times it's, it's just simple things like that. Um, definitely the date nights going out to dinner together. Mm-hmm. Most of those have just been DoorDash at home the last year. So. Yeah, <laughs> true, true. Definitely. All right. And our final question, number four, what are you most grateful for? I'm most grateful for, for my path. Okay. I'm just grateful for everything that's happened along the way, all the lessons, just everything. Cause that's, that's what life is all about. Gotcha. gotcha. You know, so the people, the lessons, just, I really, I wouldn't change anything. Wow, man. That's huge. I love that. You know, it's each of those questions. When I ask them, I get varying answers. Some of them are, are variations of the same thing. Um, I haven't had anybody say that yet to say that they're grateful for their path. Um, and I, and I get, I think I get where you're coming from because if you hadn't experienced some of the pain that had come in your life and you had taken the time to work through it, to get to your purpose, that allows you to be able to look back on it and to be able to appreciate the path because I feel pretty safe in saying this, you would not be the person you are today without the path. Nobody, that's none of us would. Right, right. So that's the, you know, that's the thing. There's, I've really come to really, there's, there's a bigger plan out there. And it's like, we all, we all want to control it. And that's where the comparison comes in. We want to compare to other people, you know, all these things. And there's, there's no freedom. There's no peace. There's no joy in that. Yes. So true. So true. I'm going to give you the last word, Brooks. Is there anything that you want to say to the listeners out there? Something that that's on your heart that you feel like if you haven't said it well enough, you want to, or you want to bring up something different just to say, this is it. You've got to, if you hear nothing else, hear this. You know, I just, I'll just go back to my core tenets. Life is an awareness game. Okay. Hopefully this podcast has shifted your awareness. So you look at things differently. And then the second thing is everything you need is already inside of you. Okay. Love that. And these are some of the, there's a couple other ones, but those are two really core ones that in my third, they get simple, but it's not easy. They sound very simple, but when you, you can spend a lot of time on these things. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you can literally spin your I mean, again, life is an awareness game. And once you realize that, like my awareness is growing every day after every interaction with every person, I'm learning something, you know, I will take time after this podcast. I'm always growing and advancing, always expanding my awareness. And once people start doing that, then you start seeing the, the gifts and the blessings in all areas of life. Absolutely. Uh, listeners, I know you've heard me say this many times before. There isn't a person that I encounter that I can't learn something from. 100%. No matter what. So thank you, Brooks, for being with us today and for sharing your heart, sharing who you are with us. Um, I have been blessed because of that. I know the listeners have as well. And I hope this has been just a fantastic experience for you as well. 100%. I've loved every minute of it. That's great. Listeners, thanks again for tuning in today. This episode will be out soon. And thanks again. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlin. Thanks again for listening. And remember, passion gets you started. Purpose keeps you going. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Bye.